to Hillcrest Church Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Right on. Hey, thanks for that intro. That was way more generous than is accurate, but very kind. Thank you for that. Yes, hello. Uh, wherever you find yourself, some of you folks here scattered in the room, but most of you home, thank you for welcoming us into your living rooms or your dens or family rooms, wherever we, you, we find you. Thanks for making us a part of your, your day. I am Jeff, and I get to work with a whole team of missionaries who this church community has sent out to reach university students on our universities in the area and also service missionaries to universities all over the world. And it's a privilege to be a part of that. I love my job. I've been at Hillcrest for like 18 years. I got married at this church standing right there in that spot. That's where me and Jessica exchanged vows. Uh, good move for me. Um, and I love this community. And I'm honored to uh, get the chance to begin our series on what it means to be a true community of Jesus. So, I mean, let's start with some spice, right? Let's start with politics. Here we go. Um, I do think it's important to say, first of all, that uh, Jesus' communities were and continue to be meant to be a collection of widely diverse people, all collected around Jesus. In, uh, in Acts chapter 11, in one of the first Jesus communities in a city called Antioch, Jesus is actually the only thing the city could find in common to call those people. Uh, they couldn't say all those rich people who were gathering together. Uh, they couldn't say because they had rich and poor people all collected. Um, they couldn't say all those Jewish people because there were Jews and non-Jews worshiping together. They could only call them those Christ people, those Christians. It's what they were known for. And as our Jesus community of Hillcrest Church heads into a presidential election season, I think it's really important to remember that political diversity was also a significant part of those first Jesus communities. And the very first Christian small group of all time was radically politically diverse. Among the 12 young men originally invited to follow Jesus— there was a corrupt Roman employee and an anti-Roman terrorist in the same small group. A tax collector and a zealot doing life together with Jesus. Do you think they agreed politically? There's no way. So if Jesus' very first group of disciples was politically diverse, but could be described as devoted to one another then it's important for us to learn how to do the same, especially in an election year, in this coming election season that we're already in. The current political landscape is vicious, volatile, and polarized. As God's people, we need to make sure we're not. We need to be a community devoted to each other who will also, let's be real, vote differently from each other. The good news is that there is wisdom from God to help us navigate this political climate in our own hearts and in our church community. 
And for those of you on this feed who would not call yourself a Christian, we want you to be able to look at the people of Hillcrest Church and say, oh, that's what Jesus' people are supposed to be like, even during a presidential election season. Right? So how do we make this happen? I think we have to start by correcting two popular myths about politics in America. Because as long as we believe these cultural, political myths, I think we're really going to struggle to live up to the community that Jesus wants us to be. And then we'll pivot from there to three practices, three things we should do that will help us protect our community from internal strife and invite others into our koinonia, our community of Jesus, even during a presidential election season. So I would like to pray that God would help us and help me to communicate what he wants for our community. So if you would join me in prayer, that would be great. Lord Jesus, as Carlo prayed at the very beginning of this service, I am so glad that you are the king of the universe. And there's a lot going on, but you are even now speaking truth and calling your people to be a certain way, to live a certain way in this season. And Lord, we want to be your lookalikes, your billboards to the watching world and to each other, even in something as, as, as tender and personal and challenging sometimes as political conversations and dialogue. So Lord, we trust you. We want to be your people. We thank you that your spirit is a great facilitator of community and so we can lean into you. Thank you that you will help us. So help me to be helpful and clear. And uh, thank you for your word, which gives us the wisdom that we're going to look at today. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Cultural, political myth number one that we have to tackle. Politics is just personal. Nope. What you and I believe personally about how society should function, which is our politics, has very public implications for the society we live in. Right? But it's not just that my views affect society. Society also affects me. Most public policies infringe or affect my personal decisions, right? For example, I can't drive as fast as I want, even when I'm the only one on the road and no one other than myself was in danger. If that sounds scripted and rehearsed and practiced, it's because I've used that before. Politics are never just personal. This is very live for us right now. And I, there's, there's a lot of examples I could have tried to think through, but one that came to mind just because of its recentness. I don't know what you think about these public worship services in Seattle and Portland and down in California. Everyone just went, oh, he's going there. Yeah. <laughs> Where people are not social distancing, they're not wearing masks, but they're meeting to express their genuine faith. They're choosing to exercise their personal religious convictions, which is a, is, a, is a standby freedom in this country. In ways that have very public ramifications during a pandemic with a contagious virus. So this whole idea that politics is something private, something we shouldn't talk about, something that only has to do with me is actually false and quite unhelpful. In fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, as soon as Jesus says, love your neighbor, following him has left your private world. Obeying what he tells you to do just went public. 
And following Jesus should have direct implications on how you and I behave in society, right? And therefore, how we vote. Some people say, you can't legislate morality. Of course we can. We do it every time we make a law. Every piece of legislation is someone's morality. Anytime a group of voting people say, we think this is best for society, that group of people is legislating morality. It's just a question of whose morality gets legislated. Politics is not just private. And I think if we stopped believing that myth, we might be more likely to have conversations about it in our church community. It might not be such a no-no topic to talk about. Now, I know, part of what makes it hard to talk about politics is how we have those conversations. And we'll talk about that later, later on. But in a presidential election season, I think we need to stop believing that our politics don't affect other people. And start carefully including other people in thinking through how to vote wisely. But... I don't think we'll be able to have helpful conversations about politics in our community or be hospitable to people who want to join our community during a presidential election unless we correct another political myth in America. Cultural political myth number two. In our two-party system, one party more accurately represents the kingdom of God in this country than the other. That is simply not true. I know. Gasp! That might make some of you uncomfortable. Maybe you'll be outside my house with pitchforks and torches. But just wear a mask and keep your distance and we'll all be okay. But if we look under the hood of our political parties, Democrats and Republicans, which not all of us will vote for, I understand, but most of us will, I think we will find that neither party even can represent God accurately in our country. One of the most helpful books I read on this was Foolishness to the Greeks by Leslie Newbegin. And in it, he addresses these two sides of the political spectrum in America. Here comes a long quote, so settle in, okay? Smart guy is about to give us some knowledge. Here's what he says. Both Republicans and Democrats draw strength from a vision of human life, and this vision sustains them. For Republicans, it is the vision of freedom, the freedom of the individual person to develop his own powers to achieve the greatest success he is capable of, and to enjoy the fruit of his achievement. For Democrats, it is the vision of equality. At its best, this has been a vision of brotherhood, of community. In the one case, freedom is pursued at the cost of equality, and in the other, equality is pursued at the cost of freedom. Each ideology can accuse the other of violating a faith they both hold by the denial of freedom on one side and by the denial of equality on the other. I think he's right. Most Republicans value a smaller government with less interference in how we spend our money and how much we're taxed so that we're free to use our resources to bless the world according to our own values, right? And most Democrats value a bigger government because a big government can provide lots of services to people, whether those people can afford it or not, which levels the playing field. And we're willing to have higher taxes to pay for it because we value equality. So a Republican will say, my central value is freedom, even if it means we end up being unequal. 
And a Democrat will say, my central value is equality, even if it means I take some of your freedom. And that doesn't mean that Democrats don't care about freedom and Republicans don't care about equality. I'm not saying that. It also doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't value freedom or equality. We know he values justice and human volition and being able to make wise choices. Just read the book of Proverbs. All of that's in there. But the reason I think it's a myth that one party better represents God's values in our country over another is because the central value of the kingdom of God is not freedom and it's not equality. Back to New Begin. I believe that the Christian view of God's purpose for the human family is different from both of these. From its first page to its last, the Bible is informed by a vision of human nature for which neither freedom nor equality is fundamental. What is fundamental is relatedness. Right relationship is the way I'll, I've, I've unpacked that later on. First, Newbegin takes on the Republicans. True freedom is not found by seeking to develop the powers of the self without limit. For the human person is not made for autonomy, but for true relatedness in love and obedience. And this also entails the acceptance of limits as a necessary part of what it means to be human. Then he goes after the Democrats. Nor will the quest for equality create real justice. For justice, the giving to each of what is proper, can only be realized in a mutual relatedness in which each gives to the other the love and obedience that will enable him or her to be truly human. Now, that's a lot, but I wanted you to hear it. To be thoughtful about politics, we have to read, right? Plug for books. Done. The kingdom of God, with Jesus at the center as king, offers a way forward that neither political party advocates advocates. Jesus cares about relationships. That's his central kingdom value. So, for the sake of right relationships, he will give up his freedoms. He is our model for what it means to be fully human. And he made himself the servant of all. So while the Republican Party has a lot of great things going for it, its central value of freedom is not the central value of God's kingdom. Which means the Republican Party is not the Christian Party. And neither is the Democratic Party. Even though they have lots of kingdom values going for them as well. Look at that text, Philippians 2. Jesus sacrificed equality with God to become like us, to give us access to right relationship with him and each other. So if our leading value is to make everyone equal at whatever cost, then we're not living out God's kingdom in the world. The access to the good life is a right related life in God's kingdom. And that comes by laying down our lives for each other. To be the servant of each other. To imitate Jesus and lower ourselves so that others can be lifted up. And that's why neither political platform and certainly neither party's candidate is God's party or God's man or woman for the White House. And I think if we can let go of this myth that one party looks more like God's kingdom than another party, we might be nicer to each other about voting differently. We might stop scorning each other for our political choices. 
Shouldn't we be able to do that in God's family? And wouldn't that just look so sweet to people who don't know Jesus? So different than the culture. We could be a community who votes differently, but are loyally committed to each other and gathered more around Jesus than around politics. So, how do we live this way? Three recommendations, three practices that we see in God's word that will preserve the koinonia of Hillcrest Church through a presidential election in this country and this time in history. First, first thing we've got to do, assume intelligence. In our community, let's assume that the person we're having a political conversation with is smart. Not that they've got it all figured out, but that we are a thoughtful, inquisitive, intelligent bunch. That's what I'm going to assume. It's important that we assume that about each other. I know people who have said, only an idiot would vote for another idiot like Trump. And I know other people who say, how could you possibly vote for Biden? Are you insane? Let's assume we're all sane. <laughs> that we're all doing our best. That we're all weighing the information. That we're all listening and learning as best we can. I think if we treat each other like that, we are going to be so different and so attractive to people who don't know Jesus yet. And we're going to be able to have political conversations with people in our church that don't hurt our relationships with them. Second practice. Assume good intentions. I read an article last presidential cycle, four years ago, and the title was, If you are voting for Trump, I already know seven things about you. No conversation, no dialogue, and they were all sorts of cruel assumptions. You hate black people, you have no class, and you can't possibly be a Christian. I read another article that said pretty much the same things, just in the other direction. But back then it was, if you're voting for Hillary Clinton, then you're in favor of killing babies, you have no standards for ethical leadership, and you can't possibly be a Christian. As God's people, as brothers and sisters in Christ... Can we please not do that here? St. Paul writes about love in 1 Corinthians 13. But it's a community text, not a romantic one. No matter how many weddings you've heard it read at, it's about how to love each other in God's family. It's about how to do koinonia. And among the many beautiful things it says about how we should treat each other, there's two lines I want to pull out. Love always trusts. And love always hopes. Let's assume that the person we're having a politicized conversation with cares about other people. That they love Jesus. That they love their neighbors. And that the way they vote is an honest attempt to live that out in a participatory democracy. Let's assume the best about each other's intelligence and our intentions. Or as my wife Jessica put it so well in her sermon about generosity a couple weeks ago, Let's be generous in our assumptions about other people's politics. Wouldn't that be sweet? We can do that. Jesus will help us. Last practice. Together, as a community, let's trust God. Because ultimately, the kingdom of God is 
breaking into this world through Jesus and his church. That's you and me. And is setting prisoners free, healing people's bodies and minds, and delivering good news to hurting people. And even the gates of hell can't stop it. So no matter who America's president is in about 70 days, let's remember together that Jesus is the king of the universe. That is great news. Now, I'm not minimizing the importance of your vote. Too many people make this point, and they say, so it doesn't really matter anyway. Nothing's going to be different no matter who wins. Bogus. It's not true. I don't want to reduce the dire consequences for our country if either party wins the presidency. These are momentous elections from the top of the ticket all the way down to local elections. A lot of good or a lot of harm will happen because of them. And in our participatory democracy, your vote's actually the only thing that matters in getting people into leadership. So I'm not downplaying the importance of engaging politically. But having said that, as God's people, we live with a powerful, tangible, eternal sense that whatever happens, God's kingdom is still coming. And Christians throughout the century have hung on to that truth, no matter who was in power. If your candidate wins, the world is not saved. If your preferred candidate loses, the world isn't lost. No election can decide that. Only God saves the world. Too many people, even in the church, put their hope in political powers. Some trust in presidents. Some trust in Supreme Court justices. Others hope in senators or congressmen or mayors or sheriffs. But together as a community, let's trust God. Wouldn't that be sweet? And wouldn't that be sweet for our friends and neighbors who don't know Jesus yet to see? We could introduce them to a God who cares about politics because he tells us to love our neighbors. But a God whose agenda doesn't get stuffed because of who's elected. So for the sake of our community at Hillcrest Church, our koinonia, and for the sake of people not yet in it. Let's trust God together in this political season. We are going to take communion after we sing a song. And I can't think of very many better ways to say together, wherever we are, Jesus, you are the king. In fact, you are my king. You are our king. You gave up your freedoms and your divine equality for me and for my neighbors. Help us to live out your kingdom community during a presidential election. Amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Church. For more info on this and other sermons, visit us online at hcbellingham.com or join us at 9 or 11 a.m. any Sunday morning, 1400 Larrabee Ave, Bellingham, Washington.